Hi, I'm Rochelle Jackson. Welcome to The Crime Couch. I'm an investigative journalist and true crime author, and I know who's who in the zoo, the crims, the cops, and the interesting individuals in between. So get comfy and join me each week on The Crime Couch for a rollicking, intriguing tale. It'll be one heck of a journey. George Haightley is a former Victoria Police Special Operations Group tactical team leader. He worked in the job for 18 years, including the St Kilda Special Duties, the Major Crime Squad, and the protective security groups. Since leaving VicPol, George has established a security consulting and investigation business. He worked in close personal protection for many visiting rock and roll celebrities, dignitaries, and VIPs. Today, George is a director of Breon Defence Systems who provide equipment and technology to law enforcement agencies around Australasia. Hi, George, and welcome to The Crime Couch. Thanks, Rochelle. Glad to be here. George, let's go back to the very start. You went on an overseas trip as a backpacker surfing before becoming a policeman. Why did you become a cop rather than a surfer? Well, I was tempted to uh, continue surfing all my life, but had to uh, get a job. So um, I was looking around and uh, someone stole my motorbike. It was the only possession I had when I got back from overseas. And... um, Policeman uh, returned it, and he just happened to be an apprentice, uh, former apprentice, uh, with me, at an airline, and um, I was amazed to see him in uniform. And I spoke to him about that, and I asked him all about it, and he told me that there was a lot of opportunities for people to do a lot of different things in the police force. And I always wanted to be a PT instructor, physical training instructor, but didn't have the education to go further. And he said, "Oh, you can do that too." So. I joined the police force. Basically, the Monday I went down, filled out an application form, and I was in the academy three months later, back in the day. Did you really have any idea about what you're actually getting yourself into? Had no idea at all. I had long hair one minute and short hair the next, and and then uh, one of the other recruits in a, a more senior squad had a go at me for my hair being too long, and I thought, God, you should have seen it last week, you know. So it was. I just had no idea. I just thought. I had nothing else in life at the time, um, and I just thought I'd try it out. Didn't have to sign my life away, and I uh, could have walked out at any minute. But thank goodness I didn't, because I loved loved the eighteen years that I was in. After graduating, you went to Russell Street and you worked at the Centenary Cricket Match, which was Australia versus England. Is this where you cut your teeth as a uniform member? Yeah. Look, in eighteen years, I spent twelve months in uniform. And that was it. But uh, my first and probably what put me off being in uniform was uh, I went to the centenary match, had more fights than I'd ever had in my life. Uh, we were in Bay 16, which is three away from Bay 13, and uh, it was all on. It was, you know, excuses of alcohol and drunken people around everywhere, and it was a, it was an interesting um, few weeks at the centenary match. Bit of an insight, too, into what you had to do as a, as a police member. Yeah, I remember wrestling with a bloke uh, who robbed the Chico Roll Boy, and I was dragging mm-hmm. him out by his head, and uh, next thing I got this whack on my arm, and there was someone, some... Uh, 
uh, person that had decided to lift a bit of ice out of their esky and throw it and it landed on my arm. Luckily, and no one's head would have killed him. But uh, I thought I had a broken arm and uh, went off to first aid after that. And, uh, yeah, it was just out of control in those days. You then elected to work down the docks, George, during a really a really turbulent period, which was the Painters and Dockers Wars. How would you describe those days? Because I know after doing Billy Longley's biography, it was very much Painters and Dockers versus the cops, wasn't it? It was us and them. But how would you describe those days? Again, naively I went down there, and uh, Victoria Dock was renowned, as I found out, where they sent all the misfits of the police force in the day. Um, it wasn't a very active place, but in fact, I wasn't allowed to patrol uh, in the car for three months because I didn't drink. And uh, it was just crazy in those days. And um, so I did a lot of walking around the docks. It's 32 miles of coastline there at the time. And uh, so I had a lot of walking to do. And I remember pulling up some wharfies one day and they said, oh, bloody schoolboy's picking us up now, you know. And because uh, I didn't shave for a couple of years uh, while I was in the police force. And uh, I certainly looked the part, I suppose, as a young schoolboy. But, uh, you know, there was a few bodies used to float up in the river there and, um, and I used to uh, check cars against uh, the um, comfort of some of my bosses at the time because it just uh, Wolfie's go and strike for 24 hours after I did car checks at the gates. And um, so I then went outside the gates and pulled them up and uh, another 24-hour strike and then... Um, when I finally got in the car, I'd pull them up down the Footscray Road and they'd jump out and abuse me for pulling them up. I'd go, oh, what do you mean? Who are you? And um, it was quite funny. It was a game of cat and mouse. And, um, but I got to know a lot of uh, seasoned criminals that worked there and some that were being paid that didn't work there um, <laughs> were quite famous in, their, in the criminal world at the time. Well, that was the practice of ghosting, wasn't it, where they'd uh, say, oh, we need 30 men to do this hold, and there'd be 15. Yeah, absolutely. It was quite funny. I'd ride the uh, armoured car sometimes to do the um, wage deliveries, and, uh, you know, one bloke would collect six wages, you know, so it was funny. It was interesting. It was education, and and, uh, looking back, it was a fantastic education introduction into the criminal world that I didn't know much about, soon found out about it in the years to come. You then elected, um, I think, or you were sent during the late 1970s, you worked in St Kilda. I'd imagine you would have done night shift before, but probably nothing like those days. What was your first week of night shift like, George? Normally when you go to a new station, which I got gazetted to at St Kilda because I was desperately trying to get out of Vic Dock and, and get to a busy station. St Kilda was the busiest in the country at the time. And... Um, You'd go normally at nine o'clock in the morning and get familiarised, meet everyone. Well, I rang the boss up and said, oh, boss, what, what shift am I on the first day? And he said, night shift, 11 o'clock, be there and get ready and off you go. You're in the van. And I'm going, whoa, Jesus, you know. So uh, in that week, uh, there were two shooting murders in Fitzroy Street. Uh, homicide squad were down there, unarmed, uh, investigating during the night and uh, we were just about to have a meal one morning about two or three in the morning and uh, we got a police in trouble went down to Fitzroy Street and uh, the homicide squad uh, were there and they pulled up some females and uh, in those days females didn't have tats and these ones did and they were mean and nasty women and we'd previously been to another channel that during our shift and there'd been reports of armed robberies uh, going on and 
when I started looking through their cars, they'd been playing chicken down Fitzroy Street, and that's why the Homicide Squad pulled them up. And uh, I'm looking through, and I was only young, you know, policeman, and I'm looking through, and I'm finding balaclavas and guns, and I said to my mate on the van, I said, have a look at this. And uh, next thing, we've we've arrested these women for armed robbery. And um, uh, I remember their names, but I won't say them, but, uh, yeah, very mean and nasty women. Mm. Very tough uh, task for a young, uh, a young uh, copper to have to deal with, I'd imagine. And including that first week, I remember um, my mother uh, contacted me. She lived uh, up north, and uh, she said, "How come in the front page of the Truth, which was a, a paper in those days, and uh, I'd line up, been lined up with fifty other policemen in a lineup for the uh, two guys that we'd arrested this one of the nights on that night shift for drunk." And they'd been taken back and locked up in the cells. And um, uh, when the watch house keepers went to check, these two guys had got a bit sober and tried to escape. Well, uh, it was all on. It was an all-on brawl. So we got called back and, um, you know, there was a bit of carnage and uh, there was an allegation of uh, severe assaults. And um, and it was an interesting week. I was gobsmacked, actually. Uh, but a lot of fun. I was, you know pulling people up in Fitzroy Street and uh, I was with this guy and he goes, take him up the lane. I'm thinking, what? take him up the lane? He, and this policeman I was with, seasoned senior constable, he's telling them to drop their pants. I'm thinking, what? Drop their pants? But every time they did a, a foil of heroin, it'd come out of their underwear or something like that. And I'm just going, this is unreal. <laughs> uh, fantastic fun. You also had your first uh, fight with a female, didn't you, uh, Gay Jack Roberts? Yeah, look, uh, it was an unfortunate incident. It was it was uh, a morning shift, and uh, we're going up uh, Ackland Street, and at the corner of the, uh, the Fitzroy and Ackland Street, there's Prince of Wales Hotel, and this very, I've got to say, very pretty uh, uh, girls walking down Aboriginal descent, and um, and uh, I remember dark curly hair, olive skin, uh, but spaced out, completely spaced out. And I thought, oh, she's going to walk straight across the road, Fitzroy Street, and get run over. So I jumped out, spoke to her, and uh, she wasn't, uh, you know, complying at all. And we decided to put her in the back of the van, and uh, she didn't want to go in. And the next thing, uh, it's on. She's punching me, I'm punching her. And uh, uh, and one of the punches, I remember... Uh, punching into the stomach and missed the stomach and hit her in the groin. I soon realised there was more to Gay Jack Roberts than, uh, and th- that was made out to be. <laughs> so she hadn't quite had the operation at that stage, but very, you know, and I ran into a lot of prostitutes and, uh, and uh, people down in the St Kilda area in the late 70s that were lovely people but drug-addicted um transsexuals and, and all sorts of things. And, and you know, you look at it uh, when you meet these people and you feel quite um, sorry for them uh, because sometimes they are, uh, you know, women caught up in men's bodies uh, and that's the reality of it. You know? right. So, um, and they they turn to drugs because of their confusion and frustration. And, and, and um, Gay Jack Roberts, I, I knew her for a few years and as other transsexuals or uh, so forth, and um, in the majority, they were decent sort of people in, in deep down. That's uh, quite an 
like what an experience um, to work in St Kilda and have to, you know, after you've worked in the docks. So you're getting a real idea of a, a number of subcultures, aren't you, in the city and, and all around. In the 1980s, you joined the surveillance unit. What were you tasked with there, George? Look, day one, I, I knocked at this covert office. Uh, uh, it was at, opposite Russell Street at the time. And, um, I, and they opened the door and I walked in. I was just, what's going on here? There's a bikey sitting there, covered in tats. Again, tattoos weren't that common, especially on policemen. He had earrings, long hair, and he goes, G'day, mate, hey, you must be the new bloke. And I've gone, yeah, you know, like... And then, and then a couple of other guys come in, and, and if I hadn't, it was right next to the city watch house, and I, th- I would have thought there was a door between this office and, and there because they looked like crooks to me. But they were surveillance operatives, and um, what the idea was was to, um, you know, get in these specially modified vehicles, but they looked normal, mm. and uh, we'd follow, we'd get targets, criminals that we'd follow, and uh, we'd follow them in teams of. Uh, a number of vehicles or motorcycles, and um, it was very good fun uh, as far as watching them do crimes and watching them getting um, arrested by detectives that were um, uh, tasked with um, investigating what they were doing. So it sounds like you were moving into more specialist roles. Um, You then, uh, virtually at one stage, you were asked to join the St Kilda um, special duties unit. Tell me what that was like. Well, I never went in the front door of the police station for a long time. I used to uh, come in the back gate or if it was locked, I'd jump the fence. And I'd been, because I came from the surveillance unit, I had my hair longer and um, I was trying to grow a bit of growth in my face, still hadn't mastered that. But at um, the end of the day, I, I was, I'm average height, 5'9". And um, so I didn't look like a policeman. So the, the boss there knew me. Um, and invited me to join the uh, special special duties, and we used to. Uh, it was a covert role. We'd, we'd, you know, walk amongst the uh, people down in the Fitzroy area mainly, the Gatwick Hotel and um, all the pubs down there, and we'd just mix in with the druggies. And um, you know, I'd sit there sometimes, and they'd shoot up next to me or, you know, talk about who they'd bought drugs off. And so I'd be gathering intelligence and I'd contact the arrest crews and they'd swoop in and, and uh, arrest them. So it was a unique experience and, you know, you couldn't pay for that excitement of what it was at the time. Uh, it was, And again, I saw the inside of people that uh, a lot of policemen didn't see and, 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 you know, people that generally watch the six o'clock news don't see. Uh, it was thoroughly uh, amazing period of time that I spent there. At one stage, you even charged a grandma, a grandmother who was a heroin dealer, didn't you? Yeah. Look, there was a couple of people that I didn't didn't like some criminals, and there was one um, I won't mention his name, but he was from a crime family back in the day. He, he probably dead now, um, um, but he was uh, part of a group that pack raped a prostitute and um, drowned her. Uh, off St Kilda Beach and in those sort of situations not a lot of witnesses not a lot of people and um, he he got found not guilty so he kept roaming the streets and then he was a bit of a bully and a drug uh, user and um, so I sort of targeted him as I used to do with certain people and sure enough uh, we I had a bit of surveillance uh, experience so he jumped in a cab so we decided to follow him 
We follow, followed him out the northern suburbs and I watched him with a pair of binoculars uh, from a distance and he bought, he went to this house, I remember the address too, um, and this lady came out with grey hair and uh, there was some sort of transaction going. I thought, that's weird. So we drove off and pulled him up and uh, sure enough, um, um, we had a uh, talk to him and uh, he admitted that uh, he just bought some heroin. And I said, you know, really? Off? Who was the old lady? He goes, and in his words were, uh, my, my mother. And I said, your mother, you know, meaning mother. And he, and he said, yes. And uh, sure enough, it was his mother that he'd been buying the heroin off over the front fence. So Literally. Yeah, literally. Literally yeah. his mother. His mother. and But in his words, mother. And um, so the funniest part was we got a warrant and uh, wandered down there and, and the front door was open, gate, I walked in, single uh, uh, attached house, little place in many ponds. And um, I walked in the uh, corridor, passageway, and it was chock-a-block full of rubbish and just, you know, crap everywhere. And I remember going to the back uh, end of the passageway and there's a door and, and, a, and a couple of steps down into the kitchen, I opened the door and this granny had a mate from up the road having a cup of tea and uh, I won't repeat what she said, but who the so-and-so are you? And um, I said, I'm the police and I'm here to search you for drugs, search the place for drugs. And she gave me a few more expletives. And uh, we called a couple of police women in and um, did a search and, and found a number of drugs there and charged with um, traffic and heroin. And, um, and uh, it was a, a task. We took her to court a few times and um, finally got a, a guilty uh, from the jury and she went to jail. Mm. Now, after this time, um, Detective Training School was calling DTS. How did you go in the course, George? I believe it was a little touch and go at one stage. Yeah, look, it was like school. I wasn't that interested in school. Uh, in fact, my teachers did a deal with me to uh, leave or repeat the year, so I grabbed a certificate of year 10 and went and did an apprenticeship. Um, so DTS was just full on. Uh, three months of studying and I struggled with that. And the worst part was because I'd gone from special duties straight to the major crime squad and then did DDS a year later. So I had to pass because if I didn't pass, I'd be back wherever mm-hmm. and have to you know, get boot, the boot from the major crime squad. So I um, had had a lot of uh, arrest at the major crime squad and special duties. Uh, hence, there was a lot of trials on. So I was doing trials by the day and going in DDS at, at the end of the, uh, where the instructors would stay back and some, you know, uh, that were, fa- did fantastic job for me, um, former Deputy Commissioner uh, Neil O'Loughlin was uh, one of my bosses in later years and used to hang back and, and help me. Uh, Detective Sergeant Peter Spence um, and a couple others, they were just fantastic people um, that saw that I was, working hard but struggled with the theory and uh, but got me through and I passed and went on and stayed at the major crime squad and and luckily um, you know paid back in in time and effort what sort of um, when you joined the major crime squad was about 1984 what sort of reputation did the unit have 
1982, actually, I, I went there. Uh, yeah, it was the former uh, breakers and consorting squad. So I walked in and first day was hilarious. I, I, I thought, God, I, I'm, these blokes are very welcoming. I couldn't believe how much they, they're yelling out, George, come on my team, because Russell Street was an interesting uh, building, um, different levels, and we were on the uh, fifth floor, major crime squad and armed robbery squad, and um, everyone's saying, come on my team, George. And I thought, why? And I found out later, I don't drink. So I was the driver. <laughs> and that was the culture in the day, you know, that they'd work hard, drink hard, and uh, and play hard sometimes. So, um, And I used to drive them around. But saying that, um, I got quickly involved in um, the whole uh, concept of being the major crime squad, and we were after major crimes, uh, dealing with major criminals. And um, again, that experience of being there for about um, nearly five years um, um, was fantastic. It was it was great. Um, interesting um, things happened there. Um, some characters. I remember one character. I won't mention his name, Alex Christie, uh, <laughs> but uh, he he had a thing with snakes. And uh, one afternoon shift, he came in and he said, "Look what I got." And I looked in, uh, and I'm not a great fan of snakes at the best of times. But uh, he he pulls this snake out of his bag, and I said, "What are you doing?" And he, I was talking to him, and a live snake, a live snake. Well, he's let go of the snake and it's jumped out of the bag and slithered away. Well, you've seen, you've never seen 30 detectives jump up on the desk so quick and draw their guns. <laughs> and um, and the snake escaped, never to be seen again. So no. there could be a family of snakes in that old building still. But, uh, yeah, just characters, um, you know, the, you know the different nicknames. There was, you know, some very um, gentlemen, some really tough blokes there. Um, and, some very, very good detectives. I remember one bloke, um, Kenny Collins, he had his own little desk for a typewriter beside his desk and he just tapped away at that typewriter all day, every day, doing um, intelligence reports and, uh, you know, he, he was just unique, uh, a unique detective. And combined, everyone pitched in and, and during that time we went after, uh, amongst other major crimes, uh, escapees, Robert Wright, uh, Hilton, uh, oh, there was four of them that escaped from Jika Jika, uh, which was the maximum security prison at Pentridge at the time. And um, that was a fantastic uh, period of time where we slowly, one by one, we um, uh, uh, arrested them, and with the last one being Robert Wright, who was a, a serial killer. Um, he'd killed quite a few people uh killed witnesses to his crimes, even lured a woman uh, to a car one time and she thought she was safe and took her, I think it was her nine-year-old son, he, he killed them both, shot them both in the car. So it was very satisfying arresting him, uh, which was just prior to that was uh, a, quite a uh, fast car chase. And uh, uh, three, you know, very well-formed, well-planned uh, detective interception. It was... Uh, shit everywhere. It was cars everywhere, and uh, I remember I was the second car chasing this guy in a in a VIP Valiant. Um, I forget what year, but it, it went very fast. He he drove along the footpath at about eighty kilometres an hour, and um, we were chasing him. And, and uh, the car in front went around a roundabout, 
and I was very close and went over the roundabout and ended up on two wheels. The car behind me reckons that I got up on two wheels and and uh, there were a few shots happening and um, I think they were leading a few shots off and a lot of coppers shoot back and eventually uh, the car ploughed into the uh, uh, in the stud road Dandenong into a cyclone fence and um, so we all crowded around and there was just coppers everywhere. You wouldn't believe it. And they're all trying to drag these three blokes out of the car. Uh, and uh, next thing I saw, he was going for a gun. I yelled, he's got a gun, got a gun. So straight out of the movies, I jumped up in the bonnet and um, smashed the windscreen and with a shotgun butt. I don't know if it was the shotgun butt broke on the windscreen or on his face, but I put my foot on his chest and started whacking because this bloke was going for a gun. He was a killer. And I just yeah. wanted to stop him. And yeah. um, so I stopped him. And um, and uh, we uh, handcuffed him. And there's a bit of blood around, a bit more than I thought he was supposed to have. And um, next thing I've looked at him, he's in the uh, seat of the police car and um, with his hands between his legs handcuffed. So he wasn't going anywhere. But there was all this blood. And I looked at his hair and I saw it. There was a hole in the back of his head. So I've gone, Jesus. So I've called for an ambulance and looked across. There was an ambulance station spitting distance and the Dandenong Hospital spitting distance. So we put him in that and what had happened, someone had fired a shot and uh, gone through the back windscreen and lodged in, well, ricocheted off his head. It hadn't penetrated, but it made a fair dent in the back of his head. So, um, but I remember being in the ambulance and him staring at me and I thought, this person is evil. And, I, you know, I had a lot of... Dealings with a lot of crooks and uh, good, bad, or otherwise, but this bloke was evil, and um, and it was very satisfying. Some twelve months later, uh, to find out that he'd passed away. Um, he tried to escape out of Jika Jika again, and him and some of the blokes lit some mattresses and decided to breathe through the toilet system with hoses uh, during the smoke, and they were hoping all the doors would open up and they'd do a mass escape. But uh, uh, he sucked in far too much methane gas, and uh, and asphyxiated along with a couple others, and died in that fire. So, um, yeah, didn't lose many sleepless nights knowing that. So um, he passed on, which was saved the taxpayer some money. George, extraordinary stories. In the next interview, we're going to talk about you joining the SOG, the bombing of the Turkish embassy, and some of the raids that you did on outlaw motorcycle gangs. Thanks very much for sitting with me on part one of the Crime Couch today, George. Thanks for that. Thanks for joining me. I'm Rochelle Jackson and I look forward to your company next time on the Crime Couch.